The idea that immunologically competent cells can pass from fetus to mother or mother to fetus and remain detectable and active for decades after birth is news to most physicians. Yet this possibility has implications far beyond just the classical autoimmune diseases. You are listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Today we are discussing microchimerism as it occurs naturally in humans. In this segment, we will be focusing on the ever-expanding number of fields in which microchimerism has a role to play. Specifically, we will look at transplantation biology, HIV, and even Alzheimer's disease, and breast cancer if time permits. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson, a clinical assistant professor in the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology at Northwestern University in Chicago. With me today is Dr. Lee Nelson, a professor of rheumatology at the University of Washington and a researcher at the Fred Hutchinson Cancer Research Center. Dr. Nelson has been doing basic science immunology research for over 20 years and is a leading expert on microchimerism. Welcome, Dr. Nelson. Thank you for inviting me to the program. We are pleased to have you on the show. I think the first thing that I want to ask you about is just a brief overview of transplantation biology with us. And the first question that I have, of course, for you is, what is the major histocompatibility complex? Well, the major histocompatibility complex in humans is called HLA, standing for human leukocyte antigens. But these are molecules that are expressed actually on almost all nucleated cells. They were just originally tested for on leukocytes. Those are the molecules that are studied when a person needs to have, for example, a bone marrow or stem cell transplant. Aren't there class 1 and class 2 antigens? There are. They're class 1 and class 2, and all of them are important in transplantation, but an additional piece of major interest to those of us who work on autoimmune diseases is there are class 2 associations with most all autoimmune diseases that have been described. How does an antigen get to be in class 1 or class 2? I myself, if I were an antigen, would prefer to be in a first class rather than the second. <laughs> oh, the, the second class is much better. It's, it's much more intriguing what they can do. They have both a different structure and they have different function. So the class 1 molecule, all of the variability in the molecule occurs on one heavy chain, and then it's got another little chain called beta-2 microglobulin that isn't variable. Everybody has the same kind. The class 2 molecules, some of them have variability on both of the chains, and those are molecules referred to as DR, DQ, and DP. And so those are subtypes within class 2? Yes, and again, there are functional differences as well between the class 1 and class 2 molecules. Class 2 molecules, for example, are expressed on cells that present antigens and B cells and on T cells when they become activated. And what are the, where are the class 1 uh, antigens? Class 1s are widely distributed on most all nucleated cells. When uh, transplanters talk about tissue typing and somebody is compatible in five Uh, loci versus six, what is that talking about? That's class 1, A, B, C, and class 2, D, R, D, Q, and D, P. And so ideally, you really want to be compatible in six out of six classes. Complete match is ideal. Uh, But they're also very uncommon. It's difficult in an unrelated population to find a, a complete match. You're more likely to find a complete match typing within your own family. 
But even with a complete match, there can be tissue rejection. Is that correct? There can be tissue rejection and there can be graft-versus-host disease. Uh, can you tell us just a little bit about graft-versus-host uh, reactions and disease? Graft-versus-host disease, um, here's an example of a, a term that actually is descriptive of, of, the, of the disease. It's the graft attacking the host or the recipient. And it looks quite a bit like an autoimmune disease. It looks like scleroderma in the skin. The skin gets fibrotic and hardened. It involves the digestive system. It can involve the lungs. It does not usually get scleroderma-like manifestations of kidney disease or of the Raynaud's circulatory problem that we see. But other than that, it, it looks quite a bit like an autoimmune disease, and you even frequently see antinuclear antibodies. My understanding is that we don't actually have a specific me- uh, molecular mechanism for graft-versus-host. Is that right? Yes and no. There's been a lot of excellent research done, and I, I, I think there are models and there is some understanding as to what kind of cells cooperate to at least contribute to that process. The CD8 and CD4 lymphocytes are both working together. What role has been proposed for microchimerism in transplantation biology? One of the questions that we asked is, isn't it peculiar that even if you get a transplant from an identical twin, you can get graft-versus-host disease? And why should that be? When we found out that fetal cells from a pregnancy that a woman has had persist 10 and 20 years later, we reasoned that those are probably being transfused along with the bone marrow or stem cell product. So we looked in the apheresis that's collected from which the products are prepared and just looked at unselected women donors to see if there was male DNA there as evidence of fetal microchimerism from a prior son. And surprisingly, we found it was pretty frequent. And it was even frequent in the CD34 selected, which is the stem cell enriched portion of the product. Could you uh, tell if there was an increased presence of microchimerism in those that had graft-versus-host, or that study hasn't been done yet? You're correct. We, we haven't been able to do that study yet. We would like to do that. So somebody's cooking it up and looking for a grant. I hope so. I see. <laughs> and I will help anyone that wants to work on that. If you have just joined us, you are listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson, and my guest is Dr. Lee Nelson, a professor of rheumatology at the University of Washington and a researcher at the Fred Hutchinson Cancer Research Center. Today we are discussing microchimerism as it occurs naturally in humans. This segment has been focusing on the ever-expanding number of fields in which microchimerism has a role to play. Specifically, we are looking at transplantation biology, HIV, and Alzheimer's disease. Uh, What about HIV? I know that you have some thoughts about uh, those who are immunologically compromised, such as those with HIV, and what effects that might or might not have on any foreign cells that they might have inherited. Yes, this is something where there isn't a published paper or results of a specific study, but I would invite our listeners to think widely about possibilities of what might happen with these cells in certain disease conditions. We are actually on satellite radio, so just like Howard Stern can say anything on our competitor over there at Sirius, (laughs) you're free to discuss your unpublished ideas. 
and uh, do so with pleasure because there's a lot uh, to be looked into, and the more people that look, the more we'll know in a shorter period of time. The question in HIV-AIDS is since we now know that these cells from mother persist even in healthy people, what happens with somebody when their T lymphocytes aren't very functional? The T lymphocyte is known to be a very important guardian of that distinction between what's me and what's something that's foreign or something that's dangerous. And so do those levels of maternal cells go higher? Are they able to actually help compensate for some of the problems? Or alternatively, could they become a problem if they're not so well controlled? Could they be part of complications? I think it's an important subject, and um, I'm a little surprised that it hasn't been looked into yet. Is anybody in your um, group uh, starting to come up with some specific protocols? We're doing a little pilot study. My strategy is to see in a pilot study if there's a little information there get it out to the general community, and then see if someone who's a specialist in that area can carry it forward and illuminate everyone. What about uh, the role of microchimerism uh, in Alzheimer's disease? I know we're a little bit far afield, uh, but I also know that there has been some evidence implicating a role for microchimerism in the course of Alzheimer's. Well, it's such an important problem, and I think we've all seen a lot of this in our lay press, that it certainly merits looking at. Now, most physicians would probably immediately think, yes, but isn't there a blood-brain barrier? And certainly there is a blood-brain barrier, but it may be a little more relative than we thought it was because there are at least two experimental studies in mice now, one showing fetal cells in the maternal brain, and the other one showing maternal cells in her progeny's brain. So I think it merits investigation. Is there any evidence about microchimerism in humans? I read something somewhere about women with Down syndrome may have an increased risk for Alzheimer's, and I don't know, it seemed fairly esoteric to me. But That, that was the first place where the brain connection kind of came to mind, no pun intended here. Was that in mice or humans? That's actually in humans. And the really significant question that arises is, how does nature protect a woman who continues to harbor these cells from prior pregnancies when some of them are genetically anomalous? You can ask the same question simply about uh, miscarriages that didn't come to term. And whether those cells also persist in a woman's blood, and maybe nature can't always protect her over the long run. It's a very, very interesting and very important question. What about uh, the role of microchimerism in breast cancer? Um, there's an oncologist transplanter that joined our group. His name is VK Gotti, and uh, also an MD PhD. And he asked whether there might not be an advantage to having fetal microchimerism as protection against breast cancer, since it's well known that women who've had children have a modest protection against breast cancer. I always thought that was a hormonal benefit as opposed to an immunologic benefit. Well, I think there there are some established theories and a lot of excellent work in this area. And I think what he was looking to is to add one more piece. And what he found was a significant difference in 
fetal microchimerism in women with breast cancer compared to women who didn't have breast cancer that supports the concept that genetically mismatched fetal cells may have a little bit of an advantage, just give you a little edge against surveying abnormal cells perhaps and preventing that disease. Did he find any um is there any did he find any direct evidence so far? What he's got right now is just an association, but it was the most important thing to do first to see whether it was an area that was worthy of investigation. So this And the is, answer is yes. So it's going to be pursued. Yes. I want to thank Dr. Lee Nelson, a professor of rheumatology at the University of Washington and a researcher at the Fred Hutchinson Cancer Research Center who has been our guest. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Be safe. Be informed. For comments and questions about this program, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.